The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does it mean to be present? To try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Welcome to the conversation today. I'm really glad that you could join me. You know, a lot of times when I have a guest on the show, I have to say it's really for my own benefits. I'll admit this. I like to bring on people that I can learn from and use their wisdom in my own life. And then hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you will benefit too, just by osmosis. So a lot of people that are listening, if you know anything about me a little bit, you might know that I'm working on building a startup podcast network, mindbodyspirit.fm with my business partner, Tina. And it's funny that when I, I talk to my friends about what I'm doing and they'll ask me how things are going on with the network and if I have any kind of doubt, they'll just say, oh, you know what you're doing. You know, they say this with such conviction. Well, I'm gonna be the first to admit that no, I do not know what I'm doing. (laughs) Not really. You know, I've never done this before. I don't know what's going to happen. I stress about what's going to happen. I lose sleep over it all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe if you're listening, you can relate to to this. You know, if you're in, in any kind of startup situation or any kind of business, there's doubt and there's fear every day. And honestly, many Mm -hmm. times I'd like to just throw in the towel, you know, Mm -hmm. but I know in my heart that what we're building is something valuable. And rather than give up, I want to see what happens next. And one important thing that I've learned over these past two years or so of this experience is that there are a lot of things out of my control. I have to just wait and see what's going to happen. And this is something that I have really honestly been trying to work on. So uh, in a roundabout way to introduce you to what I'm going to be talking about today and my guest, when I got the chance to talk to author Coot Blackson about his book, The Magic of Surrender, finding the courage to let go, I thought, oh, this is so timely. This is just what I need to hear. And there's something that I can really learn from this. So just to tell you a little bit about Coot, I first heard of Coot Blackson when I was working with the Unity organization and I was managing Unity Online Radio. And my friend, Katie Kuntz, who's the editor of Unity Magazine, she first brought him to my attention a few years ago. And she said, this is a teacher that you really need to keep your eye on. And he's been called one of the boldest voices in the world of personal growth and motivation. And I've been reading his recent book, The Magic of Surrender. And like a lot of the books that find their way to me, this is just what I needed to hear at this time. Even though the book's been out for a year, this is perfect timing for me. So 
In the book, he shares moments of surrender from his own life, as well as many well-known people from popular culture and history. And this book shows how powerful letting go can be. So you can find Coot Blackson's book on Amazon or your local bookseller, and also look for his podcast, Soul Talk, which is a deep exploration of life's biggest questions. So I'm really happy to welcome him to the podcast. There's so many things I want to ask him, and I'm really loving this book. So thank you for joining me today, mm-hmm. Coot. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and sitting through my long introduction. <laughs> but what I was trying to convey is that in reading the book, it's really been speaking to a lot of the things that I'm experiencing right now and also people around me. So it's very true that in in my experience, books kind of land in my lap and things that I really need to hear and really need to read. And this I thought was so timely. So I'm very grateful that uh, you you found your way uh, to the podcast and also that the book found its way to me. So I want to just jump in and ask you that, you know, I think it really is timely, the things you talk about in this book with a lot of what we've been dealing with the past few years. Mm. So do you see the struggle mm. to control mm. as the root of a lot of people's pain and suffering? Because a lot of type A people don't want to give up control. Yeah, I think control is the master addiction and control or or the effort to control, especially the things that we can't, create so much suffering. Um, I would say that there is so much in our life that is not in our control. And the more we seek to control the things that aren't in our control and the more we're dependent on things being a certain way, the more we suffer, the more we feel stressed, the more we feel anxious. So I think surrender for me is the password to freedom surrender is the key uh to peace and you know inner equanimity uh in in a certain sense and so you know i would just say though that control the 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 effort to control is often well intended um the effort to control is really the ego's strategy to try to protect us to keep us safe in some way the effort to control, you see, the ego is, is it's the ego that resists surrender. The ego, which is really that which we mistakenly perceive ourselves to be, and it becomes so identified as, based on name, body, form, beliefs, ideas, um, memories, past history, conditioning, and we so tightly identify ourselves as this ego structure. And the more we are identified with ourselves as ego, the more we will be in a struggle of control because the job of the ego is twofold. The job of the ego is to reinforce its existence and identity, but the job of the ego is to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt perhaps when you were young, when you were a kid. And so the ego, that which we believe ourselves to be and identify with, is often a reaction, an adaptive response, a reaction to things that happened. So perhaps like, uh, you know, mom was crazy, dad wasn't around, we were abandoned, certain needs weren't met. That was so painful for us growing up. And so as a result, unconsciously, we started to develop, we started to disconnect and suppress our feelings. And we started to develop a defense mechanism strategy a way of being to not feel the pain a way of being to close our hearts so that we could function survive and and the survival 
conditioned way of being became what we thought we were, but it's not really that. And so the ego is a response to certain things that happened that we hold on to. And as a result, uh, we start learning all sorts of strategies to control our feelings, to control the world, to control our environment, thinking that if I can control everything around me, I won't get hurt. If I control how you, so we also start contorting ourselves to become who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval, thinking, oh, if I'm nice, if I'm kind, if I'm perfect, then you'll love me, then mom will love me, then dad will love me, the world will love me. And so um, as a result, control has become a way to avoid pain and to get certain needs met. And so uh, the ego is not bad. I even say control, the drive to control is not bad when you understand the underlying motivation of where it's arising from, which is fear. And I think if we can understand that and not judge it, then we can begin to meet our need for control, the part of us that is seeking control, because under, underneath that, we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to get hurt. We're afraid that uh, if if I surrender the same things, I'm going to feel the same feelings that I felt, which was so helpless and out of control, and and that was painful. And so if we can understand that, then we can learn to meet our fear, our resistance, our control freakness with with a bit of compassion and loving and i think that's when the healing happens the healing doesn't happen by making yourself surrender the healing happens by seeing all the ways in which you're controlling and not surrendering and embrace those parts and begin to meet those parts with kindness with compassion like healing is applying loving to those parts of yourself that are hurting and that's where healing happens. And when we can meet the, the, the control parts with, with a bit of kindness, a bit of loving, then they can relax, they can soften, they can open again. There's a couple of interesting things to unpack in that, mm -hmm. what, what you said. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the ego, just staying on that for a second is so interesting yeah. because I've read so many, I mean, I worked at Hay House for 11 years. I've read wow. all kinds of books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Many, you know, from many wonderful teachers. And there's some some people that say that, you know, we need to tame the ego, you know, we need to beat it down to defeat mm. it in some way. Good luck. Good luck. Right. But yet that we know that's impossible, right? Yeah. And then also I I think that we need a healthy ego. Like we do need yes. a healthy sense of self and and who who we are as people. But I think, you know, like you were saying, maybe the the trick is. Um, and you talk about this in the book, you know, learn how to observe it for what it is. Yeah. The and ego is not the issue. You, our relationship with the ego is the issue. I would say everyone in the human physical 3D dimension has an ego. Yes. Ego is the vehicle that we need to sort of navigate this 3D reality. If you wave at the Dalai Lama or some, you know, yogi, you know, in the Himalayas, they will probably turn and say hello, right? They would respond. Like, the moment you wave at someone and they just sat there blank, they maybe don't have an ego. And there have been certain mystics in India that just sat there like a log, Ramana Maharishi, you know, for 50 years. And okay, maybe his ego dissolved. But, but the issue is the relationship to the ego, how identified we are with the ego. And I think the, the, the more we try to fight the ego, kill the ego, annihilate the ego, 
the more power we give it, the more it will resist. The ego, in a sense, I would say it kind of, it wants to fight because the more we fight it, the more it reinforces its its reality. To me, the ego is not even a, a thing. And like a, a phone is a thing. My chihuahua is a thing. You know, <laughs> this is a pen, it's a thing. The ego is a process. It's really a process of identification. It's like a bicycle is a thing, but the pedaling is a process. And so the more we are identified with, with all the labels and what we perceive of as ourselves, you could say that holding on is ego. That that grip is ego more than anything. And so I think, yes, I think you're absolutely right. To function in this human experience, a, a healthy relationship with ego is needed so that you can learn how to honor yourself without taking yourself too seriously. You know, uh, 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 set your boundaries, uh, uh, respect yourself, love yourself, you know, charge what you're worth, these, these basic things. And so I think we can do this without attachment. We can do this without over-identification. If we met the Dalai Lama and, and, and the moment we, walk, we, we walked up to him as an example, and he said, hey, 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 do you know who I am? Diane, hey, who? I'm the Dalai Lama. Why are you not, why are you not acknowledging me? Now, that is a very identified you know, sense of ego identification with his own sense of Dalai Lama-ness, right? right? But I think we can we can learn how to inhabit this human experience, have an ego without it having us. And I think that's, that's the freedom, you know, that right. we can have, right? That's, that's the freedom. The key. But yeah. what's so interesting, and then this comes up um, in the book, I, I noticed that uh, people, you know, people that you work with, like, for example, I have someone in my family who, my brother, he's gone through a lot of challenges. He's in his early fifties. And, and his thing that he keeps saying to me over and over is, he feels that he's been cheated, right? Cheated. I'm, I'm 52. Life isn't supposed to be like this. I was supposed to have the house. You know, he, he came out of a bad relationship. So oh. he's lamenting that, right? Oh. So he feels that he's a failure. And he's so identified with these beliefs of what we're supposed to have and be. And at a certain age, we're supposed to have this. We're supposed to be this. And I think this this causes so much pain because we see, we compare ourselves to so many people. I mean, it's in our faces every day on social media and on, you know, television, you know, we should be rich. We should have this. We should be a Kardashian, <laughs> you know, all of these things that we, yeah. we possibly cannot be. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. And, and in his case, like, oh, oh, I'm cheated, you know, that this wasn't how it was supposed to be. And it seems like those beliefs that are really ego-based, ego tied to you know stories there's stories right there's that, stories that, that, that we tell ourselves stories that we tell ourselves to try to i would say to try to make meaning of experiences that happen and those stories that we tell ourselves to try to understand what happened i'm cheated i'm unworthy i'm unlovable i'm not enough these are just stories that we make up to try to make meaning about life to also try to rationalize and make ourselves feel okay it's easier to say i'm cheated than mm, where how am i responsible and and where am i responsible and where did i make certain choices and now i have to take responsibility for the things i didn't do and the choices i knew but i didn't make and the fact that i didn't do x didn't do y maybe i was lazy maybe i wasn't committed and now i have to look at certain things and take ownership 
it's a lot easier to hold on to a story that says I, I I'm cheated than than because when we when we play the victim, which is an identity, when we play the victim, and that doesn't mean bad things don't happen. That doesn't mean people don't screw you over in relationships. That doesn't mean things have not happened. But the truth is, if we hold on and identify with being a victim, we just disempower ourselves and it becomes an excuse. It becomes a, there's a kind of unconscious payoff that we have by holding on to that story. And, you know, there's people that have been raped and abused and beaten and sold by their parents into slavery that somehow come out of that experience and they choose to see themselves and see life in a different way, which takes tremendous courage. And so, yes, when we've been hurt, when bad things have happened, it takes tremendous resilience, courage to say, I'm not going to let this define me. So often we're allowing external experiences to define who we are and what we believe about ourselves. And we've made meanings about certain things that aren't true. And we hold on to that as a kind of identity. And now we're limited. So we have to have the courage to break it. The challenge is this. When we hold on to an identity, this is ego. The ego doesn't want to change because we get so identified with this is who I am. This is how life is. This is So the ego doesn't want to change because change, change, transformation, reinvention, surrender to the ego feels like a death. And so sometimes it's easier to hold on to who we've been and all those old belief systems because letting go of those belief systems can feel scary because if, if I let this go, then who will I be? Who will I be if I'm not a victim? Who will I be if I'm if I'm if I'm not unworthy anymore? Now I if, now I might have to open myself up to to love. Now I might have to open myself up to the unknown possibility of life. But if I'm a victim or if I'm unlovable, at least I know how my life is going to be, and it's safe. And so right. it becomes another strategy of trying to control. It's well intended. It just won't bring your brother freedom. He might be, here's the thing, he might be absolutely right about what happened, but it won't facilitate him being free. So there comes a moment where we have to choose. Do I want my story, which may be true? Do I want my story or do I want freedom? And do I want to be free? And will holding on to the story bring me freedom? Will it bring me freedom? And many times, most of the time, it won't. And, and that's the choice we have to make. We can be right. We can be free. And I think right. we have to choose. And the message that you're sharing in the book, which I think is so amazing, because it, it goes so so counter to what, like you were just saying, we want to hold on to all these things because yeah. we feel safe, you know, like the devil, you know, we have yes. the fear of the yes. unknown and all of that. And really the way to ha have the, the freedom that you're describing is to let go. Yeah, and then just kind of let things happen. Yeah. And, and then what you talk about in the magic of surrender, and it's just something that I've really been trying to, to lean into because I can't control, I can't Much control of life. things, you know. Much of life. Most, yeah. of the, the, most of the things we don't control. But yeah. if, we, if we look at the best things in our life that have happened, most of us, we didn't plan it. Most of us, we didn't plan it. And then here's the thing. 
when we're locked into ego identification, we are not able to see, we're not able, from that perspective, we're not able to see the, the infinite possibilities of what has actually happened happening in life in a given moment. So in a particular moment, what seems like the worst thing, in a moment, oh my God, this is the worst thing. You know, 10 years later, in, in the grand scheme of things, we realize, wow, thank God. Thank, like I like to say, I thank God for the prayers that weren't answered, not just the prayers that were answered. And so sometimes not getting what you thought you wanted was grace. We're just not able to see it in the moment. We're often only able to see it in retrospect, looking back. And so when bad things happen, in quotation marks, when things don't go according to plan, when we don't manifest, I invite people. We tend to project the meaning onto that experience. This is bad. This is wrong. I'm a victim. Oh, my God. was going to hell. God doesn't love me. The meanings that we project are from the ego. The meanings aren't true. So now we've made a meaning about something. We've kind of cursed ourselves, hypnotized ourselves to believe that the thing is the way it is, but it's not. And so now we're extremely limited. And so I say when things kind of hit that roadblock, step back breathe, connect to your body, connect to the moment. And rather than project the meaning, get curious. Get curious. Like curiosity is a key component in surrender. Get curious. Rather than say, this is what it is. This is what it's not. Just say, what could this mean? What, what, what else could this mean? Like I like to say, look, nothing inherently has any meaning. Events happen. But events in and of themselves don't carry meaning. An event happened. We are the ones that assign a meaning to the event. Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Because I've heard so many people say that everything happens for a reason, that old trope. And I I, I tend to not believe that because I don't (laughs) always think there's some big reason for every single thing, you know, yeah, but you're right. Yeah. I believe that we would assign a reason to yes, it. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so, for saying that. <laughs> and so events happen, they have no meaning. Right. But then that that's a tremendous freedom to say, to say, okay, what meaning do I want to assign to it? And what meaning can I assign to this that might empower me? You know, this person didn't show up. It means, well, I'm, I'm unlovable. It means, well, is it we have to be willing to question the meanings that we're assigning? We have yes. to be willing to question the meanings and the stories that we make up. And so ask ourselves, is it is it true? Is it fact? Is it fact? Is it reality? Or is it fiction? Many of us were believing fiction, and we believe that fiction so much from an ego identification that the fiction starts becoming a reality. And now we end up imprisoned and limited by that reality or we end up creating that reality as a self-fulfilling prophecy and so i think uh, we have to start realizing wow that we have to want to be free more than anything yes. but i always say that freedom is not free it requires that you surrender it requires that you let go of that which is no longer a vibrational match It requires that you let go of that which is no longer aligned. It requires that you let go of who you were in the past. It requires that you release and you let go so that you can be open to the new. The challenge is many times we hold on to who we were. We hold on to the story. We hold on to what we know out of comfort, self-preservation, familiarity, not realizing that we are the ones blocking our blessing. Not God, not life, not the universe, no one else, but we are the ones that are our own devil blocking our blessing. And, And so holding on to that which is no longer align 
an idea, identity, story, is our affirmation of our lack of trust in the universe. And that's what we end up creating more of, more than anything. So when we dare to let go, sure, it can be a bit scary, you know, but what's more painful than living a limited life? You know, that people say, oh, it's scary to surrender. If you really think about it, it's scary to live in suffering for the rest of your life. We don't, we often don't think about that, you know? And so when we let go, that's when we open ourselves to the new. When we let go, that's when we create the space in our life for more possibilities, for new experiences. You know, I think that what I will say, this may help your brother or those that are like your brother, not to make this about your brother. Uh, <laughs> if he ever makes listens, it about him all the ever, time. If you ever listen to this interview, <laughs> you know. Um, but what I would say is to truly surrender, there is often a missing piece that people miss. There is a difference. Sometimes people come to acceptance, like, okay, it is the way it is, but I'm pissed off and I'm mad that it's this way. So I put my, my hands up, cross my arms, and I'm mad at the universe. Surrender is the open-hearted participation with life. Okay, I'm gonna participate with life and trust that life is functioning and serving me in some way. And I don't know why in this moment, but I'm gonna like, Go for it, open-hearted. To truly surrender, the phase that many people miss is the phase of grieving. Many people miss the phase of grieving. Grieving is to honor what was. See, surrender and letting go is a death. It's a death. And sometimes we avoid truly surrendering and grieving. I, I, I would say that sometimes we avoid the grieving phase because we're not taught how to grieve. Sometimes we avoid the grieving phase. We hold on to our stories, avoiding the grieving phase because we're afraid that if I truly grieve, it will be too much. I won't be able to handle it. If I truly grieve, it's going to last forever. Sometimes not grieving is a unconscious way to hold on to what was. Like, for instance, a relationship ends. I don't allow myself to grieve fully because somehow my fear is if I grieve fully, I have to acknowledge that it's done. I have to acknowledge that my mother has died. But if I don't acknowledge that, don't fully grieve, maybe I can somehow stay, hold on and stay connected to what was. And so it's grieving that allows us to let go so that we can open our hearts and embrace the new. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to grieve because we do a spiritual bypass. You know, we, we have this, God is good, God is great, life is great, life is perfect, life is whole, life is complete, which is true at the deepest level. But in the human experience, when we do a spiritual bypass as a way to not deal with our feelings, all feelings that we don't feel fully remain present inside of us. And we will keep attracting and creating situations that reflect the energy of the unprocessed feeling and grief that we haven't dealt with. And so I think if we truly want to surrender, we have to be willing to grieve so that we can release and let go of the past, grieve who we were, grieve the relationship, grieve what could have been, grieve it all so that we can let go and be open to the new. That's interesting. I think that uh, for the grieving is that I think we just don't want to feel. We and don't you, want you to feel. You mentioned that in the book, we're afraid of pain. We're afraid of being uncomfortable, being pushed into those areas and taking a look at those things. And I, and I think grief is a big 
yeah. a, a big concept, a big part of it. Like I think a lot of times, maybe it's more of a Western thing that yes. we have a hard time with grief and with yeah. death. Like we don't like to grieve. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit that people are going to die and, you know, and, and that causes a lot of pain in, in itself. Yes. Not, not accepting that part of life. And I wanted to ask you this, because I know you've spoken all over the world mm -hmm. and talked to people. I mean, do you think that, you know, us Americans are particularly mm -hmm. difficult with, with some of these concepts like grief and surrender? Or do you see you know, that the world is just... I, I, I would say that the Western culture, I don't want to just say Americans, because yeah. to be honest, <laughs> you the know, ugly Americans. I, I love America. Uh, America to me is a great country and I love the, 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 I mean, I've lived most of my life here now, you know, half of my life here. And so, so I, I would say the Western mind, the, the America, the Western mind um, has tended to find perhaps the way of surrender difficult because in the West, we've been very conditioned into a patriarchal, hyper-masculinized way of living that disconnects us, that 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 uh, worships the brain, science, logic, hyper-masculine values, but we've become disconnected from the feminine principle of life. We've become disconnected from emotion, from feeling, from the feminine. And so I think that, you know, it, it's just time to come into wholeness right, to come into wholeness so that we can embrace the feminine connected to the masculine where the brain can be in service to the heart and the soul. But when the brain is just leading, disconnected from the heart and the soul and the spirit, then then, then I think we end up slaves to, to, to conditioning. And so I think we've just found it hard because in the Western culture and mindset, we need to have proof for everything and justify everything and analyze everything. And if we can't prove X equals Y, then how does it happen? But in that, we lose touch with the mysterious. We lose touch with the miraculous. We lose touch with the poetry of life. We lose touch with the poetry of existence. And then, then we become unhappy and disconnected. I mean, look, for me, I want to prove something. If everybody, I want to prove that for surrender, it, it's something that we all want, every one of us. I don't care if you're spiritual. I don't care if you're atheist. I don't care if you hate spirituality and you think surrender is crazy. I'm going to prove that deep down, you want to surrender. If everybody here, you imagine, we're going to get raw for a minute. Imagine your most blissful or a blissful sexual experience, lovemaking experience. You just imagine with your partner, with your lover, or 10 years ago, whatever. Just imagine this blissful encounter you're having with your loved one, and it's gorgeous, and it's beautiful, and energy's flowing, and it was ecstatic. It was blissful. It was like, wow. What made it so blissful? What made it so ecstatic? Was it because you came to the sexual encounter with your lover? And you brought a, an iPad, right? A big iPad. Okay, honey. Uh, Minute one, I want you to lie on the bed and you're going to move exactly 27 centimeters to the right. Minute two, you're going to kiss me 18 times. Minute three, we're going to do this. Minute four, we're going to, and you had the entire two hour, one hour, whatever it is, scripted. No, what made it so blissful was because you surrendered. You didn't know what was going to happen. 
You didn't know from one minute to the next, to the next second, you were in the flow. You let go. You surrendered control. And, 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 and what made it blissful is you let go to the flow and the energy and you became one. And that was the magic. And so if that's what makes love making blissful, what if we lived life that way? What if we lived our life that way? What would happen? What would happen? The challenge is we don't. And so in the, in the Western uh, uh, you know, mindset, we, we've become so rigid in that sense. But if you look at alcohol consumption, why do we drink alcohol in the to West? To feel better, to cover to our feel, problems. But, but, <laughs> but, but yes, but also when we drink for a moment, right, there's a loosening of our sense of control. There's a loosen, oh, I feel looser, I feel freer, I can get on the dance floor because we're looking to surrender our grip of our own stories and I can't dance, I can't move, I can't, and we, oh, I'm free, I'm free for a moment. We do a drug, I'm free for a moment. It's what we're seeking. So deep down, we're seeking that surrender. We're just seeking it in the wrong places. We're seeking it in dead end parts. We're seeking it through temporary means rather than connecting to something deeper inside of us, you know? And so, so yes. But I do believe that, you know, if we look at the last few years, depending on people listening to this conversation of this pandemic that we've been in, I feel as though we've all, as a humanity, been thrown into a surrender seminar. And this pandemic experience has been a kind of, I feel has been like a spiritual evolutionary initiation for us as a species to evolve from a, rigid, controlled, egoic, gripped way of living to force us a little bit, a little bit, it's going to take more than a few years, but a little bit move us in the direction of a more soulful, surrendered, open way of being in harmony with nature, in harmony with life, in harmony with the divine. And so I feel as though we we are in, we have been in an initiatory process these last few years to grow and evolve and live more surrender and harmony with, with our true selves. I think so too. I think this pandemic has shaken people up. It's made people look at their lives. It's made us pause, breathe. You know, a, a lot of people for the first time in years had that opportunity. And also to your point of, you know, becoming uh, more connected with the divine, I predict the post-pandemic spirituality surge and I wish I could say I made up that saying, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read it from a New York Times writer. But I think it's so true that, you know, now that we're, com we're coming out of this, but let's not let that experience be in vain, right? I yeah, mean, can't I we hope learn? not. I hope not. No, me too. I mean, I, but I think if we do, if we do, life has a way of kicking our asses and life <laughs> will have a way of, you know, reminding us of the reality of nature. There'll be an, there'll be another one. I don't know. I mean, I got so many great insights from reading your book, and and I I so enjoyed it, and I'm I'm gonna oh, forward good. it to many people. Oh, but I want to give you the opportunity to tell me what you're doing now. I mean, the book came out last year, the one we're talking about now, which yes, I do yes, yes. I do hope people read the Magic of Surrender. Mm -hmm. Still timely and still timely. viable. Yes. But I know you've got a lot going on. I can just uh, I can tell you're a guy that's involved yeah busy yeah you know I'm, I'm i'll be honest i'm really passionate about this book and the message because i feel it's it's a timeless message of life you know it's a timeless message for us as human beings and writing the book for me was a calling it was a real calling and so it's a passion so uh yes so there's the book um this year 2023 
Uh, for those that might feel a calling, I'm doing two very, very, very special events in Bali uh, where I take uh, twice a year I do an event in Bali. It's called Boundless Bliss. And so uh, I take uh, those that, you know, if you're someone that feels a calling to make a difference on the planet, maybe you're someone that uh, you feel as though you've been put on, on, on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself and uh, you're ready to heal, you're ready to transform, you're ready to connect with your true essence and share your gifts with the world. Uh, part of my mission these days is to initiate and activate and train leaders. And so this is a transformational healing journey. The next one is in July, July the 28th through August the 8th, for those that might feel inspired. Um, the website is uh, Boundless Bliss Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com. Um, so that's happening this year. This is my last year doing this event. I'm actually creating some new events right now. Uh, smaller events, but more larger scale. And so more of my vision now is to uh, make my work accessible to more. And so uh, I'm envisioning, you know, two, three day type of events, 800, 1,000, 2,000 people. So I'm, I'm in the process of like deep creation of these events in this moment as we speak. And also uh, marinating on a new book. I don't know what the new book will be, but marinating on what is it? What is it that that I feel souls are seeking and in is seeking to be written and so marinating on that and developing my podcast and also working on many entrepreneurial projects uh separate from 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 my you could say core work uh that i feel the universe is kind of pushing me in a very entrepreneurial direction and building and creating um there's a lot of things i want to do to to help uh africa and people that young youngsters in Africa. So so as you say in the book, though, you're going to let it unfold, see where spirit yes. takes you, yes. you know, how it's going to how it's going to be. And and the curiosity, I love that. And, you know, be curious about what's going to happen, right? It could be something greater than you, you ever imagined. Tends to be that way. Yes. And I think it will. And people can also find out about you on your site, cootblackson.com yes. and check out your podcast, Soul Talk. You've got some great stuff going on there. And I so appreciate you being on my little podcast in my neck oh, of the you. internet woods here. You, you never know who's going to find you. And I do hope that uh, if people are listening to this conversation and you like what you hear, let me know. Give me a review. I love the good reviews. And also check out the other amazing podcasters on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And thank you so much for joining me. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.